What started as an abandoned vehicle report turned into one of the biggest cold case mysteries to plague the area. A nice 30-year-old, fun-loving girl next door. People liked her. And that's when something unusual happened. Something so unusual, investigators are still putting together the pieces 25 years later. On May 24, 1990, Pedro Nkoski offered to drive her mother Artis to the Detroit Metro Airport so she could visit her sister. On the way home, Paige pulled over on the I-96, and then she disappeared. 30 years later, Paige still remains a missing person. This is Cold Girls, and this is the disappearance of Paige Renkoski. Paige Marie Renkowski was born on February 2, 1960, to her parents Artis and Carl. She had three sisters, Tammy, Michelle, and Cheryl. Her Charlie Project Paige says that she worked as a substitute teacher in the DeWitt Township of Michigan in 1990, the year that she disappeared. There are conflicting records online, with other websites stating that she worked as a preschool aide while she was pursuing a degree in early childhood education. It's also stated that she had hoped to eventually work with deaf students. The DeWitt Township is in Clinton County and is part of the greater Lansing urban area. The township is located near major urban areas like Lansing, Detroit, Flint, and Grand Rapids. In 1990, Paige was engaged to a man named Steve Deberbander, and the two lived together in Lansing. They had supposedly met at a Michigan State University hockey game in 1987. They were to be married that November. May 24, 1990 was the Thursday before Labor Day weekend. I mention this detail because the roads on a Labor Day weekend in Michigan are busy with people heading up north to celebrate the weekend. This detail is important and I will bring it up again shortly. On this day, Paige had offered to drive her mother, Artis, to the Detroit Metro Airport to visit Paige's sister, Michelle. At the time, Michelle was living in Atlanta, Georgia. The drive was about an hour and a half from Paige's house. Paige had told her sister, Michelle, that after she dropped off her mother, she was going to meet a friend in Canton, Michigan at a park, and then head to her fiancé's softball game. On her way home from the airport, Paige pulled over on the I-96, one of the busiest highways, at some time between 3 to 4 p.m. As I had mentioned earlier, it was Memorial Day weekend and around rush hour, so this highway was quite busy, and there was multiple sightings of Paige pulled over by those who were driving on the highway. According to detectives, Paige's car was fine, and it is unclear exactly why she had pulled over. For reference, she drove a 1986 Oldsmobile Cutlass Calais. When she pulled over, she was about half an hour from home. Witness reporting state that she was seen speaking to two unidentified African-American men who were standing near a maroon or burgundy minivan. 80% of the witness statements, according to the blog The True Crime Files, 
stated that the men she was speaking to, or was seen speaking to, were African American. She was seen gesturing and putting her hands in the air, and the men were supposedly putting their hands on her shoulders. It is suspected that Paige disappeared between 3.15 to 4.30 p.m. that day. It is stated that at 4 p.m., one eyewitness saw Paige and a single African-American male. Flash forward to the hours of 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. In one article, it states that at about 7.30 p.m., the same witness who had driven by at 4 p.m. drove by once again and saw the car. They got worried and called the police. Paige's car was eventually found abandoned on the highway near the Fowlerville exit 129 with the lights on and keys in the ignition and the car running. It is stated that there was minor damage to the front of her car, but we can assume that this was from earlier because as stated in detective reports, Paige had no reason to pull over because the car was fine. In her car, they found her purse and shoes, and like most of these cases with an abandoned car, the car was initially treated as left behind and towed away. Six months after Paige's disappearance, the police received an anonymous letter stating the following. This may be a red herring. However, I have recently come into some information about Paige that may or may not be true. I have tried to verify as much of this information as I could and have found many of the details to be true. The letter later details a supposed path that her abductors took. In 2011, which is clearly a significant amount of time later, police followed the map and they excavated a property in Livingston County's Conway Township. But nothing was found there, and it is rumored that they had actually followed the map incorrectly. Regardless, nothing else came of this letter. This map and letter raises a lot of questions as to whether or not it was actually a scared witness who was wishing to remain anonymous, or just someone trying to insert themselves in the case. There are many examples of people writing letters with detailed locations, drawings of where the victim can be found, or cryptic messages about their involvement in the case, which we also see in the infamous Zodiac case. But usually these letters are either discredited, not followed up on, or they just don't pan out properly. Normally at this point in an episode, I would discuss suspects, but there are none in this case, except for the witness sightings of the men around the car, but none of these men have been traced. There was one man who was briefly considered, who was in prison, but he failed the polygraph test that was given to him. In fact, according to the True Crime Files blog, which I reference quite a bit throughout and will also be providing a link to in the show notes, there has been no updates in the case since. But now I want to discuss theories, and I want to take a deeper dive into some elements and details of the case. The first thing I want to talk about is Paige's shoes. The shoes being left behind have raised quite a few questions online, but I personally do not feel that they hold anything of importance in the case. Paige was driving during rush hour on a long weekend and on a very popular highway, which means that there was likely traffic and she was probably tired. I know many people who take their shoes off and drive barefoot during long car rides or in traffic simply because it is more comfortable. But this takes us down another weird path, and the shoes, although I do not believe are important, should still not be discredited. If Paige got out of the car willingly, why didn't she take her shoes? 
This also brings me to my next theory, that the men seen were possibly impersonating police officers. This is a scary situation that is all too real, and is one of the theories of this case. Perhaps the men pulled Paige over and instructed her to go in the car, leaving her no time to grab her shoes. Although this is a very plausible theory, I have some suspicions about it, because if the witness sightings are true, and that Paige was with multiple men, there's a few issues with this. Multiple officers rarely pull a person over. It's usually one person or two people in the car. Also, if the men were driving a maroon van, as reported, this would not pass as a cop car, unless they were posing as undercover cops. And still then, I feel Paige would have been suspicious, or would not have been that gullible to get out of the car and into the supposed police car. With this next theory, I want to go down a different path, and I want to discount the witness sightings altogether. Perhaps there was none of these individuals talking to Paige at all, but maybe there were African-American men or men matching this description, but they were pulled over at a different spot on the highway. It's important to note that eyewitness accounts are confusing, and they often lack a lot of credibility. For example, as I had stated, maybe there were men matching this description who were pulled over but at a different part of the highway, and those who reported seeing this blended the two together in their mind. You have to remember that those driving on the highway were likely going fast or focused on their driving. If you think about your own self-driving, you rarely pay attention to things happening on the side of the road or pay attention enough that you can ingrain it in your memory, but you're mostly focused on your driving and on the road. Although it sounds like a stretch, I want to go back, as I have before, to the famous eyewitness testimony case where a woman had identified a suspect who had committed an assault against her. And she was positive that this person was the criminal. But it was later found out that this suspect was actually on TV during the time the crime took place, which ended up leading to a mistaken eyewitness testimony. Basically, we can't 100% trust eyewitnesses. However, in this case, many people have the exact same eyewitness report which may add some credibility to their reports. But in order to be sure whether or not these eyewitness statements can be deemed credible, I feel that more information would be needed, such as whether or not initial eyewitness accounts were made public. If so, and it was broadcast that Paige was missing and she was last seen with these men matching a certain description, it may have influenced others who came forward about the sightings. Also, I wonder how the police picked who to question. Considering Paige's car was not found until two to three hours after her supposed last sighting, how did police know who was driving on the highway that day? And on a similar note, who to question? Police are now treating Paige's case as a homicide, even though no body has been recovered yet. My own personal theory is that Paige was a victim of a crime of opportunity. Perhaps she had pulled over, or had car trouble, even though none was reported. One Reddit user states that they actually had the same car as Paige, and for them, it had spontaneous issues from time to time. I feel that if Paige was abducted, whoever did it must have followed her from the airport, or perhaps a pit stop location. I didn't mention this earlier, but I did find online that she had stopped at some point for a beer. Something I find odd is that with all of the eyewitness sightings that took place, 
nobody actually saw Paige leave the scene, or there was no report of a struggle. Could Paige's abductors have coerced her to get into the car somehow? It is stated that she was on the side of the road for approximately an hour, which makes me think that maybe she was coerced to go voluntarily. Also, if she was having car trouble, did they offer to drive her to a nearby location but abducted her instead? I feel that there was some way they were able to get her into the car because surely someone would have seen a struggle on such a busy day driving. Also, did the car potentially hit her? I return again to the fact that although there was no reported damage to the car, maybe police missed something. Was this a case of road rage gone bad? Is this why Paige was putting her hands in the air and the individual supposedly putting their hands on her shoulders trying to calm her down? This case has a lot of unanswered questions, and it's really strange that Paige could disappear, especially on a busy day on a busy highway. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Cold Girls. If you liked this episode, please review us or rate us in the iTunes store. If you have any theories or questions or cases that you would like to submit, you can email us at coldgirlspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and I'll see you soon.